0: Hey everyone, this is Arnold with Warm Welcome, a show where we meet the makers behind the most beloved restaurants here in New York City. This is season two where we focus on Asian American restaurateurs and chef owners. For today's episode, we're sitting down with Ronnie, the restaurateur behind the Masala Wala, Rahi, Ada, and the soon to open Damaka in the Lower East Side. I found out about Ronnie as I've been closely following the success of Ada Indian Canteen in Long Island City which is also where I happen to live and to be completely honest it's the last restaurant that I thought would have the success and attention that it's had thus far you know because it's such an unapologetic restaurant that is not looking to cater to everyone right it's almost a hole in the wall it's really in the middle of nowhere it's an excellent no-fills restaurant, though, and I was curious as to who was behind this operation, and only to find out that Ronnie had also operated other Indian restaurants, the Masala Wala, and Rahi. This is Ronnie and his story. His parents saw a better opportunity in America, and despite being a lawyer back home in India, their family decided to hit the reset button for a brighter future.
1: You know, we were not like scrambling for money. Right. We're okay coming to america we knew we sort of had to start from scratch yeah depends on your age but someone who has a kid like my father at a much later point in life it's tough to reinvent yourself and you don't always have the luxuries to say well i'm gonna go there go to school for five years who's gonna pay for it who's gonna support your family at the time so you have to take on choices where you believe you're gonna earn some quick cash so you can support the family things that are they took on jobs for both my mom and dad as like security guards mm-hmm. when they first came here. And it used to make me feel kind of weirdly sad. I was like, Oh, you know, we've gone backwards. I had this whole idea of what America is like and you go there in the most glorious life. And instead it turned into quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm here living in the Bronx. And I started to recognize that there is a fundamental difference between what New York city, more so in the US or more so New York City, and how it differs from where I come from. I started looking up so many different people from these quote unquote rags to riches stories, from those who are inspirational figures, and I started to see, wait a minute, these are the people that came here mm. and actually was able to make something out of themselves. They were able to not only climb the social ladder, but really command things in many ways. So maybe it's possible. So I think that was the first time I started to realize that maybe there is an opportunity somewhere. And yeah. it was so unfiltered, so unprocessed within you. I didn't have, as a 13-year-old, a mental clarity yeah. to say, well, this is what it is. And there's many reasons for that. It's yeah. it's your upbringing. If everyone around you is a certain way, you start to believe that's the only way you can be.
0: Yeah.
1: And here, all of a sudden, that difference started to kick in. Uh, my father took on this job, which I think in hindsight is the best experience I've ever Received in my entire yeah. life
0: because you said it's it was your lesson in hospitality right like your first yeah
1: we were running a fruit cart in downtown Manhattan by Financial District and I remember it, a couple things work ethics you are waking up at four a.m. Yeah, what time do you have to be getting there? Yeah, like, because you have to catch people before breakfast begins, right? Yeah, so that means by six six thirty you have to be set up. You're getting out of your house at four. You're reaching there by four forty five. <sighs> there's a garage where all these fruit carts are parked. Mm -hmm. So you go to the garage and everybody's starting to take them out. You have to push the fruit cart depending on wherever your location is. And you go there, it takes you about 20, 25 minutes- To to to
0: unload and-
1: Physically push the truck. Yeah. And you already had some of your stuff left over from the day before. You're getting getting new shipment, you gotta break the boxes. You know, it's really, really hands-on. You're physically on the sidewalk breaking boxes. Uh, again, not the image I had of America. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Um, and then comes the magic, which is you have this line of people, and I started to realize, wait a minute, we're selling the exact same fruits that everyone else is. It's the same vendor, guys. It's it's really not like... That's true, yeah. Um, like we were buying this crazy organic yeah. thing. So you're not. You're getting what a the normal other fruit guys delivery are. guys are giving you. <laughs> the difference was how a guest experience can make a difference, even in a fruit cart. Someone who's spending three seconds with you yeah. to buy a quick bit of banana, what it means to actually have a conversation with that person. Yeah, And we started to get to a point where there were literally constant lines at this fruit cart. Not There was no write-up, there was no press, there was no media, nothing. It was just people coming over to sort of feel this infectious energy that my father more so was creating. And I was um, being inspired by that. I started to realize, wait a minute, he can take something that is so minuscule in my eyes and turn that into something so amazing yeah. that people are getting impacted wow. by. It. So, I mean, my God, it, it so many crazy you know, stories just came out of there. There was someone from Wall Street who wanted to offer me an internship, so he took me to you know, his office to see. But people started to feel something, that there's a sense of camaraderie that can happen between a 13-year-old kid and a father that's in his late 40s, right? So that bond, I think, really started to signify a wonderful thing. Yeah.
0: From operating the fruit cart with his family, Ronnie decided to pursue a path in engineering, which is what he would later on to study in college and would have a fairly successful career in. But at one point, I think he also was not the most fulfilled, you know, showing up for a paycheck every week. He felt that there was a greater purpose to be had. He also wanted to explore different things in life, uh, namely acting and the arts specifically. And so this is him and kind of his inflection
1: point to where he, they, he does a career change, but I think for the better. Am I just here to get a paycheck, do a good job, get promoted? For me, it was about living my life in my own terms. Right. Even, even if it did not connect with anything. Sure. Meaning, you're doing engineering. How the heck to <laughs> go into uh, film school? Sure. What connection is really there? Yeah. The connection is that I have a burning desire to learn more about storytelling. The connection is that I personally want to understand and how to express myself in an artistic way yeah. that I haven't had a chance for in the last decades because I felt... It's not possible. Yeah. I felt I'm not worthy of exploring the arts. so what do I do? And I when at a very, very young age, I had um, I was part of a program uh, called the Theatre Development Fund. It was by a Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright named Wendy Washerstein. It has been renamed since then as the Wendy Project. Um, I was one of the first batch of students who made it into that program from mm-hmm. it as an inner city kid mm-hmm. who started to get exposure to theater. I will never forget. It was Wendy personally sitting there over pizza, and you know I used to write plays and do all of that. And she says, Ronnie, have you ever explored the idea of maybe one day pursuing this? And my answer was, I just don't think this is for me. And I didn't know what I really meant until at a much later point. And the idea was, I didn't think it was for me because I'm—that's not the future, the card that I've been dealt with. I'm not good enough. I don't have the ability or the luxury to go into this. yeah. Um, I would rather get a job so I can support my family. Right. And that's that's what went through my head. But at a much later point, it started to come back. And yeah. I said, why did I do this? Why not? Who says, who made this rule? Right. That if you are an engineer, you cannot be an artist. Or if you're an artist, you'll be, no one said that. Yeah, And it's all of these beliefs that we give ourselves. The reality of the matter is, it's the amount of time you plan on investing in yourself and the future that you wish to build that defines all of these things. When you think about, well, I'm an engineer. Well, are you going out every Thursday to Saturday night? Yes, you are, so then let's figure it out. If you invested that same amount of time, even four hours of the day, a day, 12 hours a week, start using your Sundays, using your holidays, man, we have more than enough time. If anybody complains and says, I don't have the time to pursue the future I want, they're lying to themselves. Right, right. So, keeping all that in mind, I. Going to acting school was a phenomenal experience yeah it opened up a side of me that i never imagined existed mm-hmm. for once i i remember going in there i said okay so when is the finals yeah they're like "What exam
0: yeah like, and there's no grades no and yeah. it blew my mind there's no all rules. your life
1: yeah. you're going through this staircase of rules yeah and you're meticulously following that all of a sudden it's a qualitative experience what yeah and you actually have to look within yourself even deeper I think it was probably, again, one of the most exciting moments and infliction point in my yeah. life.
0: I think it's important to note too, that as he was going through these changes, he had still kept his job, right? Like he was still working in engineering and being able to support his family. And at one point he was able to even buy a house for them, which was a big thing. like a, a, a tremendous moment for his family. And he was also even strategic about this, right? So once he bought the, the property. He then subleased the units to make um, you know, additional cash flow for him and his family. The other thing he started to question was he wanted to do something more. He wanted to give his dad an opportunity to continue and maybe pursue his passion and his dreams because he was never able to, meaning the fruit cart in Manhattan all the way to him growing up. Like His dad's mission and purpose was to provide for them and give Ronnie an opportunity. And so this point... In his life is him trying to give back to his dad and give him the opportunity to chase his dreams.
1: I always felt that, wait a minute, then how do I how do I contribute yeah. to this family? I, I grew up in an environment where my parents used to I never had an allowance. But my parents used to keep the entire money for the family, which was really small amounts, in a little drawer. And they said, Here's the money for the entire family. You use whatever you like. Wow. Never told me, don't like, never gave me any rules. Now, but what I did at around 13, 14, I asked myself that question. It doesn't seem like it's a lot of money. What if instead of taking from it, I could add to it? Add to it, yeah. That's another
0: way of thinking about right? it. Yeah.
1: And that's what drove me towards these goals. And that's right. what drove me to the point to say, my father is about to retire. I don't want this man to feel old. I don't want him to feel obsolete, which happens to a lot of people who are retired. He doesn't really have a huge friend circle in this in this country because he He's made a transition at a much to, later age. Yeah. How do you look at us? We are building friends from high school, college, blah, blah, blah. People who we're in touch with for the last decade. That's not his life. He made a decision to propel his family forward. Right. Any sacrifices? Right. How do I give back? How do I support that cause so that maybe in whatever time he's here he has that sense of fulfillment. Honestly building a restaurant wasn't even on the list at the very beginning. It was <laughs> yeah. like it was way way out there. It was like, well, and you know, I I don't know. Yeah, he likes to feed people. I've grown up in a an environment where my father's like the ultimate hospitality sure. guy. He loves to cook, he loves to host, whenever, people. host people and all that. And I'm like, but that doesn't really mean you open a restaurant, right? And a lot of people do that. Um but I started realizing then that that Maybe somewhere, again, I am also limiting myself in my thinking. I'm saying that to myself because I don't think it's possible. There was a time not that long before I opened the restaurant where going out to a restaurant was a big deal. We we wouldn't go out every night. We would be going to a Red Lobster. Yay! We're having <laughs> yeah, uh, those the cheddar meat biscuits, yeah. man. I love it. Um, so that in itself creates that mindset where it's like, how do you own one? Right. No matter how big For or sure. small it is. And luckily enough, um, there were many positive financial decisions that led up to it yeah. from before that. So a lot of people, anybody who's listening to this might think like, oh, I can just wake up and build a restaurant. No, that's not how it worked out. It didn't happen because I just had a job. I bought a property at the age of 24 that I rented out, and I actually built up enough equity in the property so that I was actually able to get the loans that I needed in order to have the leverage and go out there and wow. start a restaurant. Wow. So that little cusp of information is really critical. Right. A lot of us tend to think, oh, so I guess I No, it's not. I didn't go into it blind. I've been planning this thing for years before that. Yeah. So and I got my job in 2006. I bought my the property in 2007. Not just to make money, but with a dual mindset. One, I needed to make sure my family was no longer living in an apartment. Right? So we had what we call a home. I didn't have that. We moved around, lease expired, finally. And then to say, how do I now capitalize on this moment and potentially build a business model out of it? So there are multiple families. It's like a larger like yeah. an apartment building kind of a thing. Yeah. We bought, rented out. We're in a happy place. Parents yeah. are happy. They have a secured home. But at the same time, you're also building up equity. So that's what led me to my very first restaurant, right. the Masala Walla. I even had like a pre opening, like a dinner trial thing. I hated the food. And I'm like, <laughs> we're headed towards a disaster. Like, this is insane. Like, I couldn't find anyone. Um, and that guy on his own quit like a week or two before opening. He says, Well, I think I, I'm i not fit for this. These are not anyone that is aspiring to be the next great chef. Neither did I have a single darn contact in the industry to say, oh, yeah. I'll call so and so. Figure it out. Somehow, through one of the guys, I, I ended up finding an older gentleman whose food I liked, but his work ethics were awful. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> but the best part was I think I'm like, wait a minute, I think I can work around the work yeah. ethics yeah. because he's affordable yeah, and because that's all I could afford. And I think if his food is good, I think it's going to be okay. So I think, again, a humongous chance we took. Ended up opening the restaurant, and one of the local publications writes, the garbage bags in front of the Wala has been moved, and there's a new tenant at the corner of death. That The restaurant, the corner was called the corner of death oh. because four other restaurants failed, or eight others. I no don't know way. how many. Yeah. No one survived that corner because wow. no one wanted to turn right from Houston Street, so therefore no one made it. I said, well, I guess it's a good opportunity <laughs> and cheap rent. And this is way before. We're talking 2011, Lower East Side, It has, it's not the lorry side of today for sure. Yeah. Eight years ago. Not the footfalls we were expecting. Mm -hmm. Um, the idea of what a destination crowd meant was only set for higher end restaurants. Yeah. Those were destination local mom and pop shop. Hey man, it's a takeout joint. I remember the first couple of months were really rough. The goal was to only make a few hundred dollars. Yeah. I still, to this day, don't take any salary from my restaurants. I have to really go into a model where I create something successful. I have, of course, equity, I have ownership. Well, that equity will live up to its potential where I can make my money. Mm. And my father didn't either. So now imagine a family where two of the breadwinners are sort of working away for free. But that's one of the reasons why we succeeded. Mm. There was no payroll to worry about other than really the smaller bare bone. We always said is we have to pay the employees and just survive it, just make sure. It was like I used to do the math. Like if I skipped... All the other payments somehow by pushing some bill here and there, it was somewhere between five to six hundred dollars a day. If I can make, I can survive it. Right, because everyone kept on saying, "Did you know, eighty percent of restaurants fail in the first two nice. years," so. and it's true. Yeah, it is. It's true, true because yeah. people run this business so recklessly, without a proper knowledge of the fundamentals. They don't really. They believe it just a restaurant just happens. Yeah. So I was a delivery guy. I was helping in the kitchen. There were people quitting, so I took tables. I would, every single as My father was doing dishes, so was I. Like There was two of us really diving in. Yeah. And what we said is like, okay, the last thing we want is mom to be involved in this. <laughs> so mom sort of kept an eye on the house yeah. when we started to run with these. Yeah. I remember standing in front of the restaurant on a Friday night with like four people eating. and I'm looking around and I'm like, I think all of New York ate already dinner so i think there's no one that's gonna come i think it makes sense we'll have to try it tomorrow i swear to god weird thoughts come to your head you've invested every penny you have into starting something and now you're thinking god damn it i, I don't know if i'll really survive it even though you have these moments the belief never went away right i never had a plan b trust this, me
0: this was it all in or nothing
1: all in or nothing and i said i will somehow i don't know how i will figure it out yeah so any challenges, any problems that came our way, the menu we printed the first day of the font was too small, people couldn't read it. So it was like <laughs> little <laughs> stupid things that, you know, it looked good on the computer because yeah, I created w- the menu. Uh-huh. So for me, I, when I hit print, I'm like, ah, you know, it's a smaller, ah, man, I didn't think it through. Okay, change the to menu. Reprint, yeah. But it's about failing fast, I also believe. The very first way we, we started the restaurant as counter service. Yes, I remember the first group of customers that walked in, came in, took a seat, there's said, can we see the menu? I'm like, well, I guess we're no longer, con- you know, counter service. Because <laughs> these are the only people I have. I'm not going to piss them off hilarious. let them go away. So yeah. I was like, of course, here's the menu. I literally take the cash register, which was on the counter, put it out, out. Yeah. put it out and say, someone come in here and watch this. No longer <laughs> we're counter iced. St- <laughs>
0: I love the story of the Masala Walla, which is the first restaurant that Ronnie ever opened, you know, as a first time restaurateur in the Lower East Side some really interesting stories here to be to be told and shared, but in the process of kind of helping to achieve his dad's dream or, or give something as a present to his dad to work on, he soon realized that he also had a passion for this, had a passion for restaurants. And so he takes this and continues to build restaurants. His next restaurant that he opened would be the Tapestry.
1: In the effort to start figuring out what the family needed, I realized where and what I was craving. Mm. At the same time, by opening up that restaurant, many conversations started to happen. I actually started to scratch the surface of the industry. And I started to realize how far behind we are when it comes to Indian cuisine. There lied a different set of responsibility. One was as a son. Now, as an Indian, that I felt, why do people look down upon our food? Right. Why do we feel anything above nine ninety nine if it's not a buffet is a problem? Why do are we okay with using food coloring and using a couple of base sauces and calling it a day as a restaurant when the rest of the cuisines, even quote-unquote ethnic food, are thriving in the city? Why are we the same cuisine that's consumed by more than the quarter of the world's population so far behind? Right. And just try to find an answer for that, mm-hmm. to try to put it on a position um, where hopefully, as a community, we have we can be proud. Um, I decided to open the next one, right. Therefore, I felt, okay, well, let's look for an exciting location. Now this, the dynamics were very different. And I feel that in many ways, the market wasn't prepared for what we were doing, yeah, and it wasn't about the quality of the food, it wasn't about anything else. it was all of those pieces of it was a beautiful restaurant, yeah. where we went wrong in many ways, yeah, was that the product to market fit, and again, the same guy that turned a counter service into a f, you know a full, full service, service restaurant. restaurant yeah in a <laughs> matter of minutes in a matter of <laughs> minutes had to come to. The stark reality yeah, that I need to change. Otherwise, I won't survive it. Wow. And uh, no, the business was not doing very well. Yeah. No one shuts a business. No one opens a business because they want to shut it. Trust yeah. me on this. No one does. I spent two years of my life slaving away, going through every little detail just to even get that place ready. Yeah. Do you think someone just says, ah, drop of a hat. You know, let's yeah. go. No. First fundamental was that tapestry wasn't an Indian restaurant. Yeah, it was a it was a global restaurant. Got it. And the moment you start to operate in a market like this with global cuisine, I mean, I am a first hand. You know, I saw it first hand. What it can do is that you are now not really creating an identity for yourself. Oh, got um, it. And and to operate that model in a 90-seater restaurant is where the fatal flaw lies. Got it. If that was if tapestry was a 15-seater. A counter service, smaller, or not even counter service, let's say a chef's tasting menu, that kind of a place, you would have had a little more runway for wow. it. But to operate the kind of model, and as an a la carte, set around a 90-seater, 14-seater bar, it adds up. Yeah. And, the bus- and to me, I'm a firm believer, if the business is not working, it's not worth doing. It was probably, it's the biggest failure of my entire life.
0: So Tapestry as Ronnie has shared with us, it was actually not an Indian restaurant. You know, it was a global, international restaurant. Kind of, I want to say, maybe similar to like a pan-Asian restaurant, right? It's not specifically Japanese, Korean, or Chinese. It has a little bit of everything. And this was in the West Village, a beautiful space. But it didn't last. You know, it shut down within less than a year. And it was tough. It was tough for Ronnie because this is the first time he kind of struck out with the intention of building a restaurant. And he spent so much time tinkering with this model and the idea and the concept, too and it didn't work out, you know? And I think there's so many lessons he learned as well while doing tapestry that he was able to apply. He was able to find a different chef, Chef Chintan, who actually is also the partner in Ada, which is the restaurant we're gonna be talking about next. And Ada has had so much critical and commercial success, um, even though it initially started as a very, very humble project. So this is a little behind the scenes about Adda.
1: Initially was just going to turn that location into Amasalawala. Mm, that, that would
0: be the easier transition, right?
1: Right, because that location almost demands Amasalawala. Yeah, would be a good fit. There were, I think, <laughs> I was just talking to Chef the other day. There were so many ways Adda would have never happened. I thought of Chef Chintan when we were talking about that location. He went to see it, he says, I would love to do something. Huh. Said, okay. I came back. I thought it through and I said, he's lost his mind. <laughs> he's He's been cooking at some of the best kitchens around in the up, planet. Yeah. I'm giving him this absolutely insane location. You're here in the West Village, a beautiful, glorious thing, and here we are. I think it's best, I'll just set up like a Masala wala, and mm-hmm. we'll call it a day. And uh, he says, but if I was going to be depressed, I would've told you. Why would I say that I want to do something? I said, Are you sure you really want to do this? He says, I'm dead serious. Yes. Wow. And I said, You don't feel like this is a step backwards for you? Like and I was this is right after uh New York Times wrote a piece on all the modern Indian restaurants yeah, that, that was, was happening. Piece, right? And then right. they talked about Rahi, Rahi being really the best well. of the pack. Yes. So and I said, Dude, you're here. I think we have so much more to achieve. We'll open bigger and crazier restaurants, but this is probably not your project. He says it definitely is my project. I said, all right, I wow. guess if he's so gung-ho about it, let's do it. And again, one of the things I've noticed about him, he is not motivated by accolades. He's motivated by a mission. I think Adda is the first project in his entire life that he has done. That is the closest to his heart. Wow. It has a tin roof. There was no budget. Zero. It's That's why Amasalawala would have made sense. I said, dude... We're transitioning something. Let's do the wall. My wife worked on the wallpaper. Uh, She put it together for like six six months, putting together. It looks simple, but it took an unbelievable amount of time (laughs) uh, to get. We have 1,000 news articles that's on the wall. But here I am going through this crazy highs and crazy lows and never believed Adda has the potential to reach more than a 10-block radius. Honest to God. That was your initial. Absolutely. Listen, there's a school across the street. Yeah, I think we'll survive it. A little bit from lunch. Yeah. Dinner, I have no idea. <laughs> no one's here. So what I'll start doing is I'm going to go out there, meet all the people in their offices, which oh. is what I did personally. Wow. Literally used to take flyers, wow. personally shaking hands. But what was magical was his cooking. And it shows you, it tells you, that you don't need the fanciest of chairs to appreciate good cooking. To know that there's a symphony in someone's food, yeah, you need that food. Yeah. So rather than it's the most unpretentious restaurant <laughs> you can think of. So to me, forget about accolades. Yeah. We were like, hey, man, I hope people show up a little bit. Like local news, someone writes it. Like, so we said, okay, fine, we'll take a chance. He created a, the menu, and him and I, again, we are so different in that regard. I went to him and I said, man, I think it's a disastrous menu which is a menu we currently have. Oh, really? Yeah. And I said, he's like, why? And he, I'm like, because there's like, you are a man. You're thinking of all these innovation. There's all these other crazy things. I think at least 15, 20% of the menu can be something. And yeah. I'll tell you why I thought that. I thought if we don't put anything exciting, modern, new, yeah. we won't be able to excite any of the consumers because I never thought I will get a write-up anywhere. So I thought when people are going to read the menu, they're going to read the most generic names. They're like, oh, Rara Ghost, I guess it's just another. How will I tell people how our product is different from them? So I wanted a hook of mm-hmm. somehow bringing mm-hmm. people through the door mm-hmm. so that they come in and they're like, "Ah, oh, oh, wow, the rest of the food is really exciting. But by creating the most banal-looking menu, you're not going to be able to attract the local population that they'll never read about. Right. So, and we had a big disagreement about that. And I went back and I asked myself a question. I said, am I cooking or is he cooking? If he's the one cooking, it is up to me as an operator to trust his instincts and let him do what he does best. Why would I stifle someone? Then that's no longer. And you have to have some trust and faith in each other. Mm. Right? By that time, we had built that trust and faith. I said, you know what? His name is also on the line. His career is also on the line. But he's putting himself there. He's gonna literally migrate over, start cooking physically. He doesn't believe in sort of finding a quick guy who's just gonna cook on your behalf. He likes to do it himself. Hey, that's that's, that's the guy. Yeah. That's his thing. And I said, he's gonna do all of that. Why am I clipping his wings? Mm. Let's take a chance. It's a small enough location where even if there's a dent, I won't feel feel it that badly. See, that's the key right there. Right? See, I couldn't take that many crazy chances at Arahi but here it's a cheaper rent, smaller location. You
0: guys have more freedom. You have a lot more freedom,
1: and to say, okay, well, do what you wanted to do. And you don't have to build a menu that's based on a statement. Yeah. Oh, we don't have butter chicken on the menu. Why not? Yeah. I'm too big to make butter chicken. Saag paneer. How dare you ask me to make saag paneer? <laughs> <laughs> these are honest things. Yeah. So a lot of chefs who are high profile will be ashamed of cooking these dishes. Like what? Yeah. Me? Yeah. I've learned so a much. Lot of and ego I'm, and pride, man. Why would I put that on the menu? Yeah. He's like, no, we should do it because it will sell. And people will come. And in the end, are we building a business or are we here to please critics? Mm. That was the key difference. And we're not doing this business to please critics. We don't care what they think. We don't think anybody will pay attention to us. So Let's please the people that actually makes the difference for us, which is the paying customer. So we did. Went with the menu. And the craziest thing happened. We had right there like a little previous... uh, uh, we had a, a couple of folks came over a couple writers and one writer happened to write I, I just thought he was asking some questions I just genuinely just yeah. spoke to him and he happens to write that Adda is possibly the most exciting Indian restaurant in New York City since that day I have yet to find an empty seat for myself <laughs> 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 and it's it's the craziest thing never and I, even when that article came yeah, you know it's funny for Adda we wanted to do a press and media kind of a preview dinner. Most of the people didn't show up. What? Huh. Oh, absolutely. Because we were nobodies. Wow. So you're... Look at that, huh? Absolutely. Ah, you know, it's okay. It's all right. So I'm sure they'll do... Like, Do you think here we are for Damaka, the upcoming restaurant, we're on fall preview for XYZ that's coming out, et cetera. Fall preview? Are you kidding yeah. me, man? Like, people... What preview? Even to view it, people wouldn't show <laughs> up. <laughs>
0: so for me, the best part of Ronnie's career so far and his journey is the fact that the time when he decided to double down on his Indian cuisine and his culture and open up an unapologetic like, restaurant like Ada is when he found the most success. You know, like Tapestry was a very ambitious project, but at the end of the day, like it wasn't an Indian restaurant. He was, I think, trying to please a lot of different people, and it didn't work out. It's so cool also to see how far he's come along in this process and realizing that there's a higher mission a higher purpose to him building these restaurants
1: the goal is indian food has been really one dimensional in the city for far too long or in this country and to really as a group our goal is to start showcasing the vibrancy of our cuisine to show how dynamic it can be so that we start to get out of this mindset like oh tonight what do you want to do honey you want to do indian what do you think an indian person says in india Honey, let's do Indian. No, there—that's the food. That's what we grow up with. That's what you have for you know breakfast, lunch, yeah, and dinner. You don't and you go say, out for Indian food. right? You say, oh, let's go out for Italian. Sure. Why? Because that's the mainstream. And it's not about just Indian food. Every cuisine has the opportunity to get to that point where we no longer have that gap where we say this is mainstream, this is ethnic. So I'll do this once a month, the ethnic <laughs> food. But really, I'm gonna survive on why? Like, yeah, it's it's. If we as human beings are equal, then our cuisines need to be equal. Thank
0: you, Ronnie, for being on the show. Your restaurants are a true testament to who you are and what you believe in. Congratulations on all the success that Ada has had. And I'm so excited to hear and follow along with your forthcoming project, Gamaka. It'll be one of two full-service restaurants opening in the new Excess Street market. I'm all for your mission to demystify Indian cuisine here in New York City, and thank you for all that you do. For those listening, please do check out the Masala Wala, Rahi, and Ada if you haven't done so already. This is it for today, we'll see you next week on With One Welcome.